Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam. Pharmacists who care. And good morning to you. My name is Kathy Kayla and welcome to this Discam Medical Monday. We are live this morning, so uh, if you want to get in touch, please make a note of these numbers. Uh, WhatsApp number 061-895-1019. You can also text us on 34519. And a very, very important topic this morning. It's known as the silent killer. We're talking about uh, hypertension. We're talking about high blood pressure. You know, when somebody says to me that they're hypertensive, I have this image in my head of someone who's got a throbbing vein in their temple. <laughs> but it doesn't always look like that because... Uh, well, we'll talk about symptoms in a little while with my very, very esteemed guest, Dr. Lawrence Disler. He's a physician, and today we are talking about hypertension, high blood pressure. When last did you have your blood pressure checked? You know, Do you only have it done once a year when you have to go and do your insurance uh, or your, you know, those vitality days? When do you have it checked? Do you have it done regularly? How often should you have it checked? From what age are you more susceptible to high blood pressure? When is it a problem? When is it not a problem? What should your blood pressure be? All of these questions are going to be answered by Dr. Lawrence Disler. And uh, at the end of this hour, you will have a very good understanding of what hypertension is, what causes it, what actually happens in the body that sends your blood pressure up. So uh, without any more from me, I'd like to welcome Dr. Lawrence Disler. Welcome to High FM and thank you for making the time. Well, thank you, Kathy. It's an honor and a privilege to be here with Chai FM, and thank you very much for hosting me. Oh, such a pri- actually, the privilege is ours. Hypertension is it just is it just high blood pressure? Well, and I say just, but it's not really. It's a very serious condition. Well, the term hypertension refers to an elevation of blood pressure, which we measure using a an instrument called a mercury manometer or alternatively a sphygmometer. But interestingly, the definition of high blood pressure has changed, and this change came about towards the end of 2017. In previous years, we've always defined high blood pressure as being a blood pressure measurement of more than 140 over 90 millimeters of mercury. But towards the end of 2017, the American Heart Association and American College of Cardiology changed the definition and it is now regarded as a blood pressure of more than 130 over 80, which is 10 millimeters of mercury lower than we had previously defined it as. Somebody who's got a blood pressure of 130 over 80, are they sick? These people usually feel quite well. And in fact, the change in definition doesn't necessarily mean that we should be treating patients at a blood pressure of 130 over 80. We may, however, advise people to institute lifestyle changes at this level. Okay, so uh, let's, let's actually start at the very, very beginning. How is, our, how is our blood pressure normally regulated in a normal scenario, in a healthy body? So there's a complex regulatory mechanism, which we call the renin-angiotensin mechanism. Various hormones are released by different parts of the body, and these hormones serve to regulate salt and water retention by the body. And there's a normal process whereby blood vessels constrict and relax. And depending on the relative balance of all these complex mechanisms, so our blood pressure is maintained through a range of various activities in our, in our lives. So is that all part of homeostasis, it's the body's ability to regulate its systems? 
That's correct. Okay. So what happens in, in a hypertensive person? What is it that initiated it, that's, that caused the changes initially? Well, the cause, you know, we were, we were always taught at medical school that the vast majority of patients who have high blood pressure or, as we call it, hypertension, have an unknown cause for their, for their elevated blood pressure. Uh, the, uh, one of our lecturers used to say that blood pressure is called idiopathic, meaning the doctor's an idiot and the patient is pathetic <laughs> because we really don't know the cause of high blood pressure in more than 90% of cases. We do understand that there have been various evolutionary mechanisms evolved over the years which regulate salt and water retention. And interestingly, people whose ancestors lived in very hot equatorial regions had a very advanced system of retaining salt and water, which was functional for them because they lost so much salt in sweating in these very hot regions. When these people then migrated and moved to other areas of the world which were, which were less hot, we found that the same mechanisms persisted but were now dysfunctional, so the body was retaining excessive amounts of sodium. And this, in some way, has contributed to high blood pressure. We also know that people are genetically different in the way they handle salt. And um, this is one of the explanations why some people have elevated blood pressure and others don't. We do find it does tend to run in families. But as I said, in the vast majority of cases, the cause of high blood pressure is unknown. We call it essential or idiopathic hypertension. There are secondary causes where, the, where a specific disease process will drive the blood pressure up. And if you identify and treat the so-called secondary cause, you can actually cure high blood pressure. That's incredible. So interesting, and it's obviously so wide. We've got to take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to talk about the different stages of life and what happens with our, our blood pressure regulating systems. You know, when we are in our teens versus, you know, perhaps very, very energetic versus pregnancy. You know, high blood pressure in pregnancy. How does our body regulate that? And what happens if it doesn't, if those systems aren't in place? If you've got any questions, please get in touch. 34519, that's a text line. You can also send us a WhatsApp message on 061-895-1019. If you like, you can even email us from anywhere in the world on air at chaifim.com. I'm Kathy Kaler. My guest is Dr. Lawrence Disler. He's a physician and we're talking about hypertension. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. And a good morning to you. I hope that you are having a wonderful day. It is a Monday. It is a Discam Medical Monday. My name is Kathy Kayler. And uh, as I look outside, you know, we've, these are very, very, this is very late in the year to be getting rain. I'm just, uh, I'm just thinking aloud. I think we're going to have a very, very cold winter. We're talking, uh, High blood pressure, we're talking hypertension with uh, Dr. Lawrence Disler. He's a physician and a cardiologist. Um, you've heard him on HIFM before. You've been on HIFM before. No, you haven't been on HIFM. No, no, Why has it taken us time. so long? Have you, are you just that busy? <laughs> I haven't been invited, Kathy. <gasps> no, <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're talking hypertension. Can we talk about hypertension in the different stages of life? So, you know, when we are teenagers, for example, we've got a, 
don't know, perhaps we're sports people and we've got a big event coming up and we can feel that, that excitement, we can feel that adrenaline. Is that hypertension? The surges of adrenaline that we experience early in life and at all stages of life are not defined as hypertension. Rather, our blood pressure rises transiently under certain circumstances. So, for example, when we're afraid, when we're excited, when we're angry, you get a transient increase in blood pressure. But this is not hypertension, and this isn't high blood pressure. This is an appropriate rise due to activation of what we call the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fright-fight system that gets brought into play at those particular times. I think it's very important to realize that at least 20% of people in our community are walking around with high blood pressure, which is undiagnosed and unrecognized because the vast majority of people with high blood pressure have no symptoms whatsoever. All right, especially if, as you say, the American Heart Foundation has reduced the definition of high blood pressure or hypertension from 140 over 90 to 130 over 80. That, that puts a lot more people in the category of hypertensive. The result of this change definition is that where previously the American figures were said to be approximately 31% of the community was hypertensive, according to the new guidelines, which is a blood pressure of more than 130 over 80, means we all are. 46% of Americans are said to suffer from high blood pressure. So interesting. Do you think it was a good move? Well, I think that it's, it's good in the sense that it makes people more aware of high blood pressure and they're able to institute lifestyle changes which may help to ameliorate this process and to stop the long-term complications, which is what we really worry about when we talk about high blood pressure. High blood pressure in itself is really just a precursor of various complications which we can come on to. Uh, and that is why it's so important to identify high blood pressure. But even more important than, than widening the net is to identify those patients who don't even know that they suffer from high blood pressure. All right. Let's, uh, let's go a little bit further on in the lifestyle. Uh, hypertension during pregnancy, because some, some women who have no problem with, the, with blood pressure during pregnancy all of a sudden have these very, very elevated levels. We, we have to understand that in pregnancy, the blood volume is increased. Pregnancy is a state of, of fluid and salt retention, and we, we find that as a result of that, the incidence of high blood pressure is increased in pregnancy. Uh, some patients are only hypertensive during pregnancy, and when they return to the non-pregnant state, their blood pressure returns to normal. We also have certain women who develop a very severe form of, preg of hypertension, which we call eclampsia, and this can be very dangerous and requires urgent treatment. And uh, what is that treatment? I mean, how does, how does one treat that, especially during pregnancy when you can't just use any drugs? Well, there, there are various uh, drugs which can be used in pregnancy, such as alpha-methyl-dopa and hydralazine. These are uh, old-fashioned drugs, and because they've been around for a long time, they have a very established track record, and we know that they're not, uh, they're not teratogenic. They don't cause fetal um, abnormalities, and uh, they, they're regarded as being safer than some of the modern drugs, which are untested. For very severe cases in eclampsia, we use magnesium sulfate, which rapidly brings the, the blood pressure down. What happens during, to our bodies during 
let's call it middle age, um, where hypertension can then start manifesting. We find that with advancing age, our blood vessels become stiffer. The arterial tree, the so-called arterial tree, which is the, the arteries in the body, the walls become stiffer and, uh, and less flexible, and there's an increase in vessel tone. And because high blood, blood pressure is directly related to the arterial tone, as we get older, our blood pressures naturally slowly increase. Okay. And uh, that would obviously be um, compounded the older you get. We find that there are various factors which compound increases in blood pressure with age. Um, some of those factors are the fact that as we get older, we tend to gain weight. Some of our habits are uh, not conducive to, to blood pressure control, high salt intakes, uh, states of high stress, high alcohol intake, smoking, diabetes, a condition called sleep apnea. There are many different predisposing factors which develop and become manifest as we get older and which, uh, which cause our blood pressures to rise. All of this is very important, but so what? What, what? If one has hypertension, so what? What could happen? The results of blood pressure being raised is that there's an increased sheer stress on vessel walls, and this causes what we call end organ or target organ damage. And the, the organs that are mainly affected are the heart, the brain, the eye, the kidney, and blood vessels generally throughout the body. And all of these blood vessels can become damaged by years of high blood pressure, and this will translate into a high incidence of heart attacks, strokes, kidney failure, blindness, and, um, and ultimately heart failure. Okay, so uh, let's just talk about all those different organs that you mentioned. So what does um, hypertension with the heart, how does it affect the heart? I mean, you did say heart attack, but what does it actually do? So high blood pressure is one of the predisposing factors to heart attacks. There, we recognize five major predisposing factors to heart attacks, one of them being high blood pressure and the others being diabetes and smoking and a positive family history at a very young age. And we, we know that uh, long-standing high blood pressure promotes what we call hardening of the arteries or atheroma, which is a, a process that develops in the arterial wall of the little blood vessels that run on the outer surface of the heart. We call these blood vessels the coronary arteries. And when these arteries become depo deposited with fatty deposits, calcium, inflammatory cells, and clot, they ultimately result in a condition we call angina. And if that's not treated, the artery may block completely, and this results in what we call a heart attack. So angina is when you've got pain. Angina is a, a condition where... There's an inadequate blood flow through one of the little coronary arteries, and this particularly occurs during physical exertion, for example, climbing up a hill or climbing stairs. One experiences a sensation of burning or pressure in the center of the chest, or sometimes just a sensation of being short of breath. And in many cases, however, unfortunately, there are no warning signals, so the process is happening, and there's no actual shortness of breath or chest pain to warn you that there's something wrong.
gosh, so it can be very, very sudden like that. And that, that's why heart attacks are referred to as the, as a silent killer. Wow, okay. Um, how does hypertension affect our brain? Well, the, the um, uh, high incidence of high blood pressure in our community translates into a very high incidence of, of strokes, uh, and strokes can, uh, can occur either because of damage to blood vessels within the brain or alternatively by promoting what we call emboli, which are little blood clots that arise either in the heart or in the carotid arteries in the neck. And these emboli can become dislodged and block blood vessels in the brain. And a stroke is, is one, of the, one of the big uh, feared complications of long-standing high blood pressure. There's also a complication of very severe blood pressure, which we call hypertensive encephalopathy, which is a medical emergency. Here the blood pressure is extremely high, say uh, the order of like 220 over 140. And in those cases, the patients may uh, become... Um, Maybe it may lose consciousness, may even develop convulsions, and uh, this constitutes a medical emergency. Sure. You're scaring me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you also said the eye. So how does hypertension affect the eye? So in the eye, again, um, the, the damage is, uh, comes about through damage to little blood vessels, the retinal arteries, we get various stages of what we call hypertensive retinopathy, where, where the eye, uh, the vessels first narrow down, and at a later stage, you start getting little deposits within the retina and little uh, areas of bleeding. And, um, can ult- you see that? Ultimately, it can affect vision, and uh, it can be seen by using an instrument called an ophthalmoscope, where one actually looks into the eye. Uh, the doctor can can look into the eye and and can tell you whether your blood pressure is high without actually measuring your blood pressure. So we see the the effects of long-standing high blood pressure through damage to blood vessels within the within the retina. Somebody with high blood pressure would they be able to feel or see differences if they have high blood pressure with their eyes? That, that was the least articulate sentence that I've ever put together. <laughs> but do, do you understand what I'm asking? So I, I do follow what you say. What saying. changes would we see in our eyes if we're hypertensive? So usually in the early stages of high blood pressure, uh, one wouldn't be aware of anything. Um, and uh, as I said before, most patients with high blood pressure are unaware that their pressures are high and they, they have no symptoms whatsoever. In advanced rep- retinopathy, the eyesight may become impaired. And uh, the person may be aware that uh, there's visual blurring or they're unable to see in certain areas. Um, there's, there's a condition called amaurosis where you may lose vision in the, either in the upper field, the lower field, or in one half of your visual field. And, um, you know, unfortunately, these, these are advanced stages of the disease. All right. And finally, the kidneys. What sort of damage, um, you know, can hypertension high blood pressure caused to our kidneys? Well, again, high blood pressure damages the, the arteries, the, the blood vessels inside the kidney, uh, leading to uh, nephropathy and ultimately renal failure. Um, and um, I- eventually, uh, if, if kidney function deteriorate, deteriorates, um, some of these patients ultimately end up requiring dialysis. 
If you've got any questions, you're welcome to send them through. You can text them through on 34519. You can also send us a WhatsApp message on 0618951019. I'm speaking to Dr. Lawrence Disler. He's a he is a physician and a cardiologist, and uh, this is your chance to get in touch with him and have a one-on-one. How about that? Huh? Okay, well, there are only 95,000 of us watching and listening, but get in touch. And uh, you can even email us on air at chaifem.com. My name is Kathy Kayla. This is the Diskem Medical Monday. We're talking hypertension. Thanks for staying with us. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Diskem. Pharmacists to care. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Kathy Kaler. This is the Disco Medical Monday, and uh, today we're talking hypertension. It's uh, known as the silent killer because it can cause strokes, it can cause heart attacks. We're talking about high blood pressure. Uh, my guest is Dr. Lawrence Disler. He's a physician and a cardiologist. And you know, when last did you have your blood pressure checked? Is it something that ah, well, you know, I'm feeling fine? Well, maybe you should just go and have it checked. Go to Discam, they do it. You know, they put that little thing on your arm and off they go and they check and it's all good. It's all good, but you want to just be aware of what your blood pressure is, whether it's high, whether it's low. We are talking about high blood pressure. We've spoken about, uh, you know, what was what used to be considered high was 140 over 90, that uh, the American Heart Association actually changed the definition to 130 over 80. So now 46% of Americans, unfortunately we don't have stats in South Africa, but 46% of uh, Americans are now hypertensive. Is it all about salt? Because uh, you keep mentioning salt. We, we believe that a high salt intake in conjunction with many other factors promotes high blood pressure. One of the other um, big factors is the fact that there's been tremendous weight gain throughout our communities. And a lot of this is to do with social media, uh, people on computers and, and, uh, and the Internet and not, not moving, not exercising, uh, poor dietary habits. Um, but there are many other factors which contribute to high blood pressure. Smoking is a, is a very important factor. That One would think that smoking relaxes people. It, it may relax you know, if them. You, if you think of that, you know, that iconic or that uh, caricature situation where, you know, it's, oh, I'm so stressed, let me take a cigarette. I mean, I'm not, uh, <laughs> it's nothing new, so how come it's actually having the opposite well, effect? Well, we find that there's so many chemicals that are inhaled when we smoke, and many of these, many of these chemicals have deleterious, dangerous effects on our blood vessels oh. and cause stiffening of blood vessels. We also find that people who drink large amounts of alcohol are prone to high blood pressure. So people drinking more than two to three tots of alcohol per day are at risk of high blood pressure. There, there are many other conditions which predispose to, to high blood pressure. For example, a condition called obstructive sleep apnea, which many people suffer from. It's otherwise known as snoring. And this can also be associated with high blood pressure. Diabetes is associated with high blood pressure. There are many other what we call secondary causes of high blood pressure. But to emphasize again, the vast, in the vast majority of cases, the cause of high blood pressure is unknown. Is there um, a relationship between high blood pressure and perhaps um, you know, a lack of minerals and vitamins in our body? <clears throat> The, I mean, if one has a, an iron deficiency, could that result in high blood pressure or low blood pressure? 
Iron deficiency doesn't result in high blood pressure, to the best of my knowledge, but um, a high, high calcium in the body promotes high blood pressure. And one of the commonest secondary causes of high blood pressure is what we call primary hyperparathyroidism, where the parathyroid gland in the neck becomes overactive. And we find this, it's, a, it's the commonest cause, secondary cause of high blood pressure in young people. So there's a gland in the neck called the parathyroid, which is next to the thyroid, and this is responsible for producing a hormone called parathyroid hormone, which regulates calcium, uh, calcium homeostasis in the body. When this gland becomes overactive, um, it's, it's a common cause of high blood pressure. So uh, as I'm understanding, if you have high blood pressure, it's not only salt that you should be reducing, it's calcium. We, we don't necessarily advocate a, redu a reduction in calcium intake. This is a pathological condition in which there's either a tumor of the parathyroid gland, a benign tumor, or otherwise we call hyperplasia, which is an overactive gland. There's also a condition affecting the adrenal glands where you produce too much aldosterone, and this causes salt retention. And again, this is what we call a secondary cause of high blood pressure. What were you saying earlier about the climate, that if you are in a very, very hot climate, then your body starts changing and, and you will retain more salt because you need to. Genetically, people whose ancestors oh, so originated okay. from the equator or equatorial regions, um, but their bodies became adapt adapted to conserving salt because of high salt losses due to sweating in these very hot areas. Uh, and that was a, an adaptive ne mechanism. But when these people mi then migrate to colder countries, this compensatory mechanism is, is no longer functional. Uh, well, it, it still serves, it, it's still there, but it doesn't serve a useful purpose. Let's stick with genetics. Can you have genetically high blood pressure? There are certain families who, because of the way their kidneys handle salt loads, are predisposed to, to high blood pressure. And we know for a fact that high blood pressure does tend to run in families. How would you know? We, we know this from epidemiological studies that many people whose parents have high blood pressure then go on to ultimately, as they get older, suffer from high blood pressure. Could you say also family history, if there's a history of stroke, heart attack? Certainly, um, you know, people who have high blood pressure are at risk of these complications, and we sometimes see that family members have suffered heart attacks and strokes. But, of course, it's a complex process because there are many different factors which contribute independently to the onset of heart attacks and strokes. It's difficult to tease out how much of this is due to high blood pressure, how much of it is due to diabetes or high cholesterol, how much of it is due to smoking, and how much of it is just that it runs in your family. So because these diseases are very complex, the, the cause is, very, is, is difficult to determine. From what age should you seek treatment if there is a genetic predisposition to hypertension? I think for even we have some very young people who have high blood pressure, and these, these people should be treated. Uh, when we find a very young person presenting with high blood pressure, particularly if there's no family history of high blood pressure, we always investigate them for what we call secondary causes. For example, 
um, there, there is a condition called co-optation of the aorta where a person's born with a narrowed aorta. And this causes high blood pressure and this this condition is treatable and curable by operating on the aorta and relieving the narrowing. And the, these patients then uh, oftentimes uh, have their blood pressures restored to normal. Or, for example, a narrowing of one of the kidney arteries. There's a, there's a condition where uh, called renal artery stenosis, where the renal artery, the kidney artery, becomes narrowed. And if you treat this surgically and you correct the narrowing, blood pressure is then cured. So uh, certainly we, we should be aware of these conditions. Let's, let's look at uh, treatment and perhaps even better, prevention. Can we do that? How do right. we prevent, uh, you know, as you were saying, as we get older, we've got these uh, hardening of the arteries. If uh, somebody's a, a bit of a drinker, they're going to have uh, this dilation. What, did, what was the term that you, that you uh, referred to it? They, they, get, they get vasoconstriction. Well, they, they get vasoconstriction, which causes, which causes narrowing of the arteries and an increase in the tone of their blood vessels and high blood pressure. I think lifestyle adjustment is, is a very important concept to embrace when one thinks about preventing and, and treating high blood pressure. Not everybody who suffers from high blood pressure should go on to treatment. But I think it's very important that people are careful not to gain excessive amounts of weight uh, people should understand that certain certain foods may predispose a very high salt intake may predispose to to high blood pressure lack of exercise smoking um, certain certain sweets for example licorice uh, licorice contains a substance called carbonoxalone which promotes salt retention so one should be careful not to eat large quantities of licorice that's interesting that's very interesting so um all right. Say you have uh, Bob over here, and Bob has smoked and drunk and doesn't exercise, and he has a terrible lifestyle. He's a proper couch potato. He, uh, he eats huge amounts of salt. Um, how long will it take if Bob changed his lifestyle? Could he change his physiology that he won't have issues with blood pressure or is it a case of what we do when we're young comes back and bites us when we're older well there's certain certain changes in our blood vessels which may be irreversible but a, a significant change in lifestyle can certainly reverse many many of the much of the damage that's been done uh, in in our previous years of indiscretion so if we decide to turn over a new leaf, we start losing weight, we exercise regularly, we limit our salt intake, we don't smoke, we don't drink more than two tots of, of alcohol per day. Um, we won't be alcoholics either. <laughs> <laughs> we won't become alcoholics and hopefully our blood pressures will be lower and our incidence of heart attacks and strokes will be reduced. All right. If you've got any questions, give us a call, 34519. That's a text line. In fact, it's not a call. It's a text line. You can also uh, send us a WhatsApp message on 061-895-1019. I'm speaking to Dr. Lawrence Disler. He's a physician and a cardiologist. We're talking about 
having elevated blood pressure levels. We're talking about hypertension. It's known as a silent killer. Why? Because it affects your heart. It affects, and this is the long term, it affects your heart, it affects your kidneys, it affects your eyes, and it affects your brain. It can very easily cause stroke. Go and have your blood check your blood pressure checked um yeah 140 over 90 that's uh, that was the official is this this 140 over 90 is that still the south african standard or the standard definition of high blood pressure or, or is south africa following the us we've now embraced the the aha acc guidelines which is a blood pressure of more than 130 over 80 but as I said before, it doesn't mean that if your blood pressure is more than 130 over 80 that you need to go on to medication. But it does mean that you s- should put in place certain lifestyle changes which could preempt the onset of, of more severe high blood pressure later on as, as you get older. Unsigned message coming through. Thank you very much. Saying, Shalom, Doc. I sometimes experience a pain at my lower left side of the stomach and sometimes high pulse rate. Is it high blood pressure signs? These are these symptoms that you describe are what we call non-specific symptoms. Um, as I said earlier, on the vast majority of people who have raised high blood pressure have no symptoms at all. The only symptoms that we really see regularly with high blood pressure, uh, when the blood pressure is very high, is what we call postural unsteadiness. Meaning, if you're sitting down and you suddenly stand up and you feel like very lightheaded or unsteady or um, unbalanced, that may be a symptom of high blood pressure. But the only way to know whether you have high blood pressure is to have your blood pressure checked. How often should we be checking it? Daily, hourly, monthly, (laughs) (laughs) annually? I I think it depends very much on what we call the person's risk profile. So the more risk factors you have, if you have a family history of strokes, particularly under the age of 50 or heart attacks under the age of 50, uh, or if you're a smoker, a heavy drinker, a diabetic, or suffer from high cholesterol, or what we call sleep apnea, then certainly your blood pressure should be checked every 6 to 12 months. Now, um, people often ask, should they check their blood pressures at home? Should they have home blood pressure monitors? Yeah, I mean, we could just move in a whole hospital ward. You know, we are partial to that. (laughs) (laughs) It's been my personal experience that people who check their blood pressures at home become very, very anxious, and it's one. I, I call it the extra risk factor in promoting. It's 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 another risk factor for promoting high blood pressure. If you check your own blood pressure at home, it's likely that your blood pressure will become elevated with time because you people become so stressed by checking their own blood pressures that they it 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 really it's firstly home blood pressure monitoring is is very inaccurate. Uh, meaning the instruments used are often not well calibrated. People don't necessarily apply the cuff the way it should be. When you take your own blood pressure, it tends to make one very anxious. So it's far better to put those blood pressure machines away and to go into Dischem or one of your nearest pharmacies uh, or otherwise your general practitioner. I'd be more than happy to check your blood pressure. It's a good idea to be lying down for two or three or five minutes on the bed. So it's always a good idea. <laughs> so as to to uh, take away the um, the confounding influence of what we call white coat hypertension, which is a, a transient rise in blood pressure due to anxiety. So if you lie down for three or four minutes on your doctor's couch or in your 
friendly pharmacy, you'll find that the blood pressure will come down and very often they will um, tell you what the true reading is. Another factor that we haven't really factored in or counted in is, uh, you know, a nagging wife. <laughs> <laughs> they say that men who that married married men live longer. Whether this is true or not, I'm not certain. But I think that a nagging wife can certainly help. Yeah, definitely. Good for the lifestyle. Gail, thank you so much for your message. She says, uh, how does diabetes come into this picture? That's a great question. Thanks, Gail. It's a very good question. We know that there is an association between diabetes and high blood pressure. Exactly what the link is is not clear. Many of, many of these links, obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, high blood pressure, have to do with activation of various hormone systems in the body, the sympathetic nervous system, the renin-angiotensin mechanism. And um, these, these systems, um, in conjunction with high blood pressure, greatly magnify the risk of long-term complications. So we know that the more risk factors we have, including diabetes, high blood pressure, smoking, and high cholesterol, the higher one's risk of these long-term complications. And the, 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 the effect tends to be more than additive. So it's more than saying we have one risk factor and another one plus one equals two. In this case, it's one plus one equals three. There's what we call a synergistic effect. So the more of these risk factors we have, it greatly amplifies the long-term risk. So if you're diabetic, you, you need to be more careful with your blood pressure, more careful with your cholesterol. More careful with everything. More actually. careful with everything. Yeah. You know, you, you keep referring to salt, and salt today is in everything. There's that little um, triangle, right, that when we find the sweet spot, when we find that perfect spot of how food manufacturers want the food to taste, you've got three things that they add. They either add fat, they add salt, or they add sugar. If something is reduced fat... They will up the salt and they'll up the sugar. If it's reduced sugar, they'll up the salt, they'll up the fat. And so it works in that, in that triangle. But if you, if you look today, salt is in everything, everything. Are all salts the same? Well, I think you raise a very interesting and good point that um, far safer than uh, – sodium is the bad boy in this whole process. Right. Uh, there are salts which contain mainly potassium – with much lower sodium content. So if you're looking for a salt, uh, a healthy salt, there, there are many preparations including no salt and low salt. But the important thing is that the sodium content must be low and the potassium content should be high. Okay, so what about um, like this Himalayan salt, these pink salts? Because they've also got trace minerals that the regular, um, what's it, NACL, um, sodium, sodium, sodium chloride. chloride doesn't have. The only problem is that it, it is really the absolute sodium chloride value that's important. So regardless of whether one's having sea salt, Himalayan, Himalayan salt, or wherever the salt. Vegetable uh, salt? Whatever the salt is, as I say, it's, it's, it's the sodium and sodium chloride content of the salt that's, that's the, the essential issue. Okay, so that's something. It comes back to reading food labels. Yeah. So important. Absolutely. 
Um, thank you so much. Wanting to know, unsigned, wanting to know if this is going to be podcast. Yes, it is going to be podcast. It will be uh, up on the High FM website a little bit later on today under Medical Monday. And uh, if you want details of where all the podcasts are, get to our website, www.highfm.com. I'm Kathy Kayla. I'm speaking to Dr. Lawrence Disler, physician and cardiologist. Coming up next, we're going to talk about how you treat hypertension. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists to care. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Kathy Kayla, and uh, this is the Discam Medical Monday. We've been talking about hypertension, also known as high blood pressure. It's uh, also the silent killer. Why? Because it can cause so many complications. It affects your heart, it affects your brain, it affects your eye, it affects your kidneys. And uh, just go and have your... Have your blood pressure checked. Do yourself and do your family and your loved ones a favor. And go and do it regularly. Don't do it at home. We've already established that you shouldn't do it at home. That will make you more hypertensive. Because then it's, you know, it's like if you're trying to lose weight and you keep jumping on the scale every five minutes. And all of a sudden it goes up 500 grams because you've had eight cups of tea this morning. You know, that's, that's also enough to, you know send you uh, into a very interesting space. All right, it's uh, 10.44. going to be wrapping up in a few minutes, but I want to find out how is hypertension treated? How, what do you advise your patients, Dr. Dizler? Well, I think the first thing to really realize is that there are many things we can do which are simple and don't require medication to keep our blood pressures under control and to keep them from rising further. And um, key among those is it's very important to keep one's weight low, to exercise regularly, to limit one's salt intake, not to smoke, to avoid excessive amounts of alcohol, and surprisingly, drink water. Um, when we dehydrated, the body attempts to conserve water, and in the process of doing so, salt and water are retained by the kidneys. It's the body's way of, of helping you retain water uh, in uh, states of states of drought so keep yourself well hydrated with water avoid eating those salty chips those uh, how much water should we be drinking because it used to be one liter a day then two liters a day then went up to eight liters a day how much water should we be drinking because surely too much water is equally bad for us it dilutes all our minerals and we we just lose them all you know, we, do, we don't need to be drinking excessive amounts, but if we're drinking six glasses of water today, a day, that, that should be adequate. Of course, it depends very much on what sort of climate we're in and what how much, how much exercise we've done, how much alcohol we've drunk, because alcohol has a diuretic effect, as does coffee. So when we drink alcohol and coffee, we, we're losing some water. When we sweat a lot, we lose water. So it depends very much on what we're doing and what our day's been like, but... As a rough guide, six glasses of water and extra for exercise. Okay, so we drink water, don't eat chips or any salt. Well, we keep it to a minimum. We eat licorice, but we eat it only very occasionally. We have pickles, but we have it, not too much of it. So we, we shouldn't overdo things that could. Moderation. Moderation is the, is the watchword. And the, and the same applies to alcohol. Unfortunately, it doesn't apply to smoking, even a half a puff. Uh, cigarettes per day does damage and no smoking uh, we we should we should never smoke at all are vapes better than cigarettes 
That's an excellent question. Vapes have been found to be dangerous and um, are not advised at all. Many different unknown chemicals in vapes and vapes are harmful, could promote high blood pressure. We, we do not advise people to vape. All right. So uh, vapes being the electronic cigarettes, just another delivery system for nicotine addiction. But, exactly. but preferable to cigarettes, though. We're not even certain of that. Really? We really are not certain at this stage. Early days. Okay. Watch the space. Unsigned says, uh, this is very interesting. My blood pressure is different on the left arm and the right arm. Which is the correct arm for this? Okay. That's interesting. so, So normally the blood pressure in the right and left arms should be roughly the same. We do find that there are certain conditions um, such as a condition I mentioned earlier, co-octation of the aorta, where the aorta is narrowed. And the narrowing happens before the origin of the blood vessel going to the left arm. So in this condition, the so-called co-octation, the blood pressure in the right arm will be much higher than in the left arm and much higher than in the legs. And normally we know that blood pressure in the legs is slightly higher than in the arms. So normally, as I said, the blood pressure in the right and left arms is roughly equivalent. Sometimes the left arm is 5 to maximum 10 millimeters of mercury lower than the right arm. Very interesting. This is very interesting. Um, okay, I think we need to actually wrap up. But just to, just to kind of package it all together, give us a takeaway, a takeaway thought about how we can better prepare ourselves, especially if we don't already have high blood pressure, if we don't suffer from high blood pressure? I think it's very important to understand that high blood pressure is just one of the many risk factors for long-term complications such as heart attacks and strokes. It's important to view yourself in terms of what we call your overall risk profile, meaning have you been a smoker? Have you been a heavy drinker? Are you diabetic? Do you have high cholesterol? And do you have a family history of heart attacks or strokes under the age of 50 or at a young age? If you're in the category of what we call multiple risk factors, then blood pressure becomes increasingly important. High blood pressure is important for all of us, but it's particularly important to be managed in the context of your overall risk profile. One should start by adopting a healthy lifestyle, trying to keep your weight low, trying to keep your salt intake down exercising regularly, definitely no smoking, alcohol limited to two tots maximum per day, avoid binge drinking over the weekend because that's a promoter of high blood pressure, and um, and drink plenty of water. Thank you very much. I found some surprising facts about uh, high blood pressure, and this comes from the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, number one, high blood pressure may be linked to dem- dementia. Uh, recent studies show that high blood pressure is linked to a higher risk for dementia, a loss of cognitive function. Uh, timing seems to matter. Some evidence suggests having uncontrolled high blood pressure during midlife, that's between the ages of 45 to 65, creates a higher risk for dementia later in life. The takeaway, it's never too early to start thinking about your blood pressure and taking steps to manage it. What we do today will either carry us through the future or will come back to bite us one day. And uh, it's very, very important. And that's where we leave it. Right. We, we know that there, there, that there is, is a percentage of dementia, which is what we call vascular dementia, where the blood vessels actually get damaged. And one of the predisposing factors is high blood pressure. It's not 
not all dementia is related to high blood pressure, but a percentage. Dr. Lawrence Disler, thank you very, very much. Please come back to Chai FM. Well, thank you so much, Chai FM. It's been an honor and a privilege and really wonderful speaking to you. And um, I would be very happy to come back. It would be wonderful. And you keep well, stay well. Uh, God bless. I will see you same time, same place next week. We're going to be talking cochlear implants. God bless. Bye. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care.